Welcome back to everybody with To Number Our Days. You know, last week was kind of one of those humdingers. You know, it was like, look, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell. And that wasn't a drastic statement. It was just, it was reality. And we don't normally talk like that. We don't normally do the fire and brimstone kind of stuff. But I got to tell you how, I got to tell you, this is the craziest story. Uh, It would have been this last week, probably just a couple days ago, actually. Uh, A guy walked into our office and I heard him talking to Lala. And when he left, the Lord said, now you need to go talk to him. So I got his business card from Lala and I went running after him and I yelled his name and probably kind of thought that was weird that I knew his name, but I yelled out his name and uh, I said, hey man, I got to tell you something. I I feel like the Lord told me I'm supposed to show you what we do and can I show you in the back studio? And he's like, what? He's like, yes, sure. Why not? And so some random stranger comes in, sits actually right where Jared was sitting. Him and I were both sat there. Kevin turned on all the lights and we opened this up and it had our last lesson and it said fire, destruction, and judgment. And I just said, yeah, so last week I talked about if you don't know Christ, you're going to hell. I don't normally go there in that direction. And like God just opened up a ridiculous door for this man's heart to hear the gospel to the point where I, I've never seen this in my life. He started sweating, like drastically sweating. And like, I hadn't even got to like the hard stuff yet. And it was 70 degrees. So Kevin, you and I both, we figured out it wasn't that hot in here. And I started going through the gospel and he stood up, took his jacket off and he goes, man, this is intense in here right now. And like, I was talking more somber than I am even right now. I was just more low key. And he was just like, I can't believe I needed to hear this today. Uh, He goes, I don't need the business. It's not like I needed to walk around and ask for more business. He goes, something told me I needed to walk around and hand out my business cards. We've had a business for five years. He said, we're fine, but I knew now I needed to be here. Uh, And he surrendered his life to the Lord right in your chair. And it was because of the fire, destruction, and judgment. So don't, don't let people tell you that you can't scare them into heaven. Like that wasn't my intent, but it's truth. And when you left last week, there really wasn't anything super upbeat and positive. Kevin, can you go to 2 Peter 3? But I just want to give praise to the Lord that who would have thought that we would have had a lesson that would have been left up here from last week. A guy comes in and like he's messaged me this week and he's just like, I just I can't believe God would use this to radically change my life. Uh, In 2 Peter 3, uh, 10 and 11 and 12 and 13 Uh, It just says, but the day of the Lord, we talked about this last week, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On the day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. When I talked to my friend, my new friend, I just said, hey, did you have any idea that the earth's just going to like burn up? (laughs) He's like, I've never heard that before. And you know, the reality is, is I've never heard a sermon in my life, in any church, in any seminary, in any college that says that the earth is going to burn up. I've just never heard it. So when I said it to him, it felt weird saying, did you know that the earth's going to burn up? He's like, what? It kind of felt like a weird false teacher mentality, right? And I'm like, let me show you in scripture where it says this. And so it says in 11, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming of the day of God. The heavens will be on fire and be dissolved because of it. And the elements will melt with the heat. Now, if you just hang out there, okay, just for a second, we left it as, well, everything's burning up. (laughs) 
there is a positive answer to this. And that's where we get to go today. It says in 2 Peter 3.13, but based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. So we're transitioning from everything's burning up to all of a sudden a new heaven and a new earth. And, you know, I was at, I was at Starbucks this morning and I was prepping and, and I saw a guy walk in and he had a shirt, a sweatshirt on. Kevin, you'll love this. And it said, Jesus squeezes. Jesus squeezes. I, I should write it up because, and I, I actually, I saw this guy's sweatshirt that says Jesus squeezes. <laughs> and I heard from the Holy Spirit, go ask that guy to give you a squeeze, a hug. <laughs> so I walk up to this random stranger and I was like, hey man, really like your sweatshirt. He's like, yep. And I was like, could I have a, could I have a hug? Could I have a squeeze? <laughs> Please. I mean, it's like this weird, awkward moment, right? And he's like, yeah, man. <laughs> you know, he hugs me and, you know, uh, it was really awkward. <laughs> he was a believer. He loves Jesus. He had some scripture on the back. He had a shirt, you know, he did ministry downtown Dallas. And, and I, I want to just say, like, I feel like you know, Revelation, Kevin, 20 is like the down and outers, but Revelation 21 is like, it's the eternal Jesus squeeze saying, I'm going to be with you forever. Like there's this transition of like, you want to be with my presence? I'll show you what it's going to look like forever. The earth is all blown up. <laughs> Everything is burned up. I want to transition in Revelation 21. And it says, verse one, you got John, it says he sees a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because the first one, it says, the first heaven and the first earth has passed away and the sea no longer existed. Now, remember, we've even talked about this in Matthew, right? Remember, Jesus says, my words will stay even though the heavens and the earth will pass away. Christ has even talked like this. So John is now seeing something brand new. And by the way, he says, there will not be any sea. There's no sea any longer. It's kind of a random, right, Kevin? 70% of the earth right now is water, yeah, so absolutely. not having a sea is kind of a big deal. It is a massive big deal. In fact, Jared, we were talking, you mentioned this, this text in our time before. Kevin, you go to Isaiah 65. I think it's a great text. Isaiah 65, verse 17. It's a vision of a new heaven, a new earth, okay? For I will create scriptures. This is the, this is the prophet Isaiah. I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Kevin, I don't know how else to get around this. At the time Isaiah writes this, like there's actually an earth that he's standing on. He's talking about a new one, different from the one, the same one we're standing on. I mean, here's what it is. It's just, it's something going to be brand new. We have this label earth, right? But that's what he's got. To, he's got a reference to something like this. Kevin, can you go to Isaiah 66 verse 22? Just again, same language here. For just as the new heavens and the new earth, which what? I will make will endure before me. So again, the same language of, hey, by the way, and it, it continues on, I should finish that. Thanks, Kevin. This is the Lord's declaration. So your offspring and your name will endure. There is this promise that there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So when you go into verse two of Revelation 21, the scripture says, I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Now, this holy city, and it says, it says it was coming down out of heaven from God. That would feel like 
it's already just waiting. <laughs> it, it just is like, oh yeah, now just, I don't, I don't know, Kevin, like a, an elevator? <laughs> just hanging out there. Yeah, just hanging out, this holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down. Now, now this, is, this language will really mess you up. He's creating a new heaven and a new earth. But Kevin, where's this one coming from? Uh, for out of the heaven. Yeah, it's coming out of heaven. What heaven's that one? The new one of the new heavens. Yeah, that's probably fifth and sixth heaven. <laughs> Don't write that part down. Okay, so this holy city is coming down, and I love what MacArthur calls it. He calls the capital city of heaven is being dropped down. It's a perfect place of holiness. The glorification process, like there's no sin on any level in this context. Kevin, can you go to uh, Hebrews 11:10? I love what Nelson's commentator says, because you guys remember this text in Hebrews 11.10? Uh, uh, remember, remember Abraham? It says, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Just what if this is the city that Abraham was waiting for? Because when we describe Revelation 21, this language of foundation sure makes sense. What if Abraham is looking for the city that has foundations, that the builder and maker is God, and it's the city that exists now? Kevin, can you go to Galatians 4, verse 26? Watch, watch how this language, you guys, I'm telling you, when you study the scriptures, and just so you know, it means I have to be doing this as well. It's not like, oh yeah, Galatians 4, 26 says, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. What? What if Jerusalem is the new city that's hanging out above and is waiting to come? What if Abraham and Paul both knew about the new city, Jerusalem, the heavenly city that was waiting to drop in the new heaven and the new earth? You know... I think when I see something like that, just what if these guys were given such radical insight, that's what drove them, drove them truly to communicate the gospel, to communicate the holiness of God. And so here you have, yes, this new city coming, and it says, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Look, this, this imagery of bride and groom, it's all over scripture. Kevin, typically the, the groom is Christ, and we are the bride, right? In this context, you have two images, I believe, two things of the same image. A bride is the city, but then we are the bride as well. So the city was already prepared. The city was prepared, which makes it feel even better for me because that means that God is getting the city prepared for his people that are prepared. I hope you kind of understand that. A prepared city is coming for the prepared bride, which is us, to all join the groom. It's this wedding imagery that everybody's coming together, here it is, forever. Uh, Kevin, can you go to John 14? This is how I know that not just the city is being prepared. John 14, 1, 2, and 3. This is the imagery that you hear in funerals. This is the imagery that you hear when people pass away. Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you, I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. 
So this, I have prepared what? A place that's above, this Jerusalem that's above. I have prepared it and I'm bringing it down and I've got some rooms, I've got some places for you guys that you can hang out, that we can hang out. The scripture then continues on in verse three of Revelation 21, verse three. He says, then I heard a a loud voice from the throne. Now John is hearing this. John hears a loud voice from throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. It, it almost sounds like Kevin to me, when I read this language, I think I'm back in the Old Testament prophets language. Yeah, because their concept of that was when the cloud and the pillar mm-hmm. led them out of Egypt and dwelt the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies. The whole point is, is that everything keeps coming to the coming Messiah, the return of the Messiah, and then ultimately the Messiah ruling and reigning in the millennium and in the new heaven and the new earth. And so it becomes a fulfillment. In fact, Revelation 7 verse 15 uh, talks about this. In Revelation 7 verse 15, if you'll go there, it says, for this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his sanctuary. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. This is the imagery of God's dwelling, God's presence, and this is what it will will look like. Kevin, can you go to Psalm 132, verse 7, please? Psalm 132, verse 7. Psalm 132, verse 7 says, Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. And then when you go to verses 13 and 14 of Psalm 132, Verses 13 and 14, it says, so after we are going to his dwelling place, the scripture says, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his home. This is my resting place for how long? Forever. I will make my home here because I have desired it. So even again in the psalmist is saying, hey, by the way, Jerusalem is going to be the home base, the new heaven, the new earth. That's going to be where God is going to dwell forever. When you go to Revelation 21, verse 4, When you think of heaven, this is really what we think of right here. This this really is one of the verses that when you actually have a picture of heaven, Revelation 21, 4 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. And so what you see in this text is that all of these issues that you and I deal with here on earth They are no longer an issue. Kevin, we even talked about this in the millennium, though, because in Isaiah 65, remember how we talked about the new heaven and the new earth? When you get down later, it says, even when you get to 100 years, some people will be dying. Correct. There's no death in heaven, but there is death in the millennium. Revelation 21, it says, verse 5, says, and the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. (laughs) Don't you, you want to talk about like the ultimate, like, vision and mission. Hey, what are you, what are you doing? Oh, I'm making it all new. There's like no question about what God is doing. I'm making everything new, not just a some things, the new heaven, the new earth, everything. And so by the way, he also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. Now, Kevin, this is where it gets kind of, uh, I haven't used this word in a little while. This is where it gets swirly. Who's the one? The one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. You know, some people would say, well, it's the father. Some people would say it's the son. And some people would say both. 
You know, that language of these words are faithful and true. If you go to Revelation 19, verse 11, you got to go there because to me, anytime you see that little phrase, you should always know he's talking about Jesus. Then I saw heaven open and there was a white horse. Its rider is called faithful and true. And he judges and makes wars in righteousness. And so when I go back to Revelation 21 and he says, look, uh, I'm making everything new, write these words because they're faithful and true. Maybe, maybe he's tying it together. In Revelation 21, 6, this may be why I'd say that is because it continues to build on the story. Uh, man, and by the way, that the whole he'll wipe every tear and death will no longer exist. You guys realize all of that is prophetic too, right? I, I just, can I give you one text? Go to Isaiah 25, verse 8. I, I know I'm, I'm going back at it. I just, I think it's important to see that these things are all prophetic. Isaiah 25, verse 8 says, he will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth for the Lord has spoken. So prophetically, even talking about the tears and the death and the pain, he talks about, I'm going to get rid of all of it. Well, how do we know? Because his words are faithful and true. What I have spoken, nothing, nothing. Uh, you remember when Christ said, but my words will never fail. In Revelation 21, 6, now we're at the point where he says to me, okay, he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega in the beginning and the end. I will give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. This language to me sure sounds like God the Father and God the Son. And if you try to pinpoint it, Kevin, it sure sounds like it's pretty hard to do. It becomes really hard to do. It really gets hard to do because when you look at this language, I'll give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. Uh, Kevin, I mean, you're talking about, you guys, you guys are already going there in your heads. You guys, you're going to this language of John 4, verse 13 and 14. Remember this language of Jesus hanging out with the Samaritan woman, John 4, verse 13 and 14. Everybody who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever exclamation point. It sure sounds like that's prophetic then of the new heaven and new earth. Jesus prophesied about the new heaven and new earth in Revelation 21 when he talked to the woman of the well. Isn't that crazy? When you see this language of go to John 7 verse 37 and 38. John 7 37 and 38. Same thing again. John 7, verse 37 and 38. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anybody is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. When you go back to Revelation 21, verse 6, and he says, I'm going to give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. It sure looks like a continuation of what Jesus has already been talking about. Kevin. It's also an interesting thing because John in verse 1 says there's no sea, so there's no water. There has yet. There's no more water, but the water that's only going to come from is from him. We'll get to Revelation 22 next week about some of that water language. But I do want to just, it's a great point, Kevin. Now, when you get to Revelation 21.7, maybe, maybe my favorite part of the whole text today. And if you're not careful, you just like, whoop, just read right through it. In Revelation 21, verse 7 says, The victor will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. 
All right, Kevin, let's play a game for a second. Who's the victor? Um, those that believe in Christ that are going to indwell the new... I, I think you're right. I also think you can also go to the language of Christ as well. I think you can go to this language of, guess what, Christ... What did he do? In Hebrews, right? It says he is going to be the inheritor. He's going to inherit everything. Even though he's created it, he's going to inherit everything. And then, Kevin, to your point, we are co-heirs, and we inherit it as well. So this language of, yes, I will be his God, and then he will be my son, it has the same language of, yes, by the way, I have specific promises. Can you go to Revelation 2, verse 7? Revelation 2, verse 7 says this, and we're going to kind of fly through this. Anybody who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in God's paradise. Now watch, if you go to verse 11, same language. Revelation 2, verse 11, okay? As you keep going this, anybody who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The victor will never be harmed by the second death. The second death, you guys, remember this, this is the, the spiritual component. This is either heaven or hell language, right? The first death is a physical death. The second death, we don't have to worry about. We are not going to be condemned and judged and thrown into the lake of fire. So when you go back to Revelation 21 verse 7, the victor will inherit these things. Do not overlook the things that he's promised of what they're going to inherit. All seven churches, he begins to use this language. So now, Kevin, to your point, okay, uh, of, of these are believers, I like this language. The reason it's one of my favorites is because here's us. We get to experience the promises of God. This is all this language. The victor will inherit these things. These things are what? Internal life. These things are experiencing his presence. But it says in Revelation 21 verse 8, but the cowards, the unbelievers, the vile, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all the liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Those that are not in Christ will not be in the new heaven and new earth. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. This is harsh language. People that are scaredy cats, like cowards, they don't get it. What? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Don't you know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, every kind of homosexual. The scripture continues on into verse 10. Uh, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbal abusers, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. When we talk about God's kingdom, we are talking about the new heaven and new earth. Now, that right there will throw a whole lot of people off. Why we play political games in the church today, I will never know. In 1 Corinthians, it's pretty clear. In Revelation, it's pretty clear. If you live a certain lifestyle, you will not be an inheritance, receive an inheritance of the kingdom of God. Yeah, but I don't know. What if? No, we cannot play these games. Scripture is pretty clear. And you're like, man, that's pretty black and white. I don't know how else to get around it. I don't know how else to get around this. The scripture just says, you will not inherit these things. And so, yeah, for some reason, it's going back to the lake of fire language here. I have something amazing for you. Or you can choose this, which is not with me forever. 
get into Revelation 21, verse 9, you kind of have a, a new vision. You have a second vision of New, new Jerusalem, a second vision of the city. So one of the seven angels, which would probably be kind of intimidating, who held the seven bowls, Kevin. So this is like, you guys remember, you got the seven seals, you got the seven trumpets, and you have the seven bowls. Remember, the bowls are releasing the wrath of God. Now you're, he's talking to one of those angels that released the wrath of God. It says, the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues. He came and he spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So this angel takes John and says, come on, Kevin. You talking about the city, the new Jerusalem then? <laughs> uh, yes, he is. Because what does he do from there? He begins to get into the physical features and characteristics of a city. He doesn't start showing us the bride of Christ, the church, you know, those that know Christ. He begins to actually describe a city. It's a great question because that's where this language can kind of get confusing. I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So the bride, the wife of the lamb can be New Jerusalem and it can be his saints. So then it says in verse 10, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And then he showed me the holy city coming down out of heaven from God. So you know that this mountain is super tall because now he's watching the city come down from uh, out of heaven from God. He's watching all of this in the city that's arrayed with God's glory. In verse 11, it says her radiance was like a very precious stone, like a jasper stone, bright as a crystal. So now John is hanging out with an angel. This angel was one that released one of the bowls of wrath. And now he's starting to show him this almost like a new release of a city that's dropping down. And he gets to watch this. And this whole city is arrayed with God's glory. And so as he's watching it come down, arrayed with God's glory, by the way, it says like a jasper stone. It's, it's a it's a crystalline reflection is what uh, one writer just said uh, of a priceless jasper. And, and so in other words, it's just radiant. It's radiant where it says in verse 12, the city had a massive high wall with 12 gates. And 12 angels were at the gates. The names of the 12 tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gate. So city is coming down from heaven. John's watching it from a mountain. As it's dropping down, it says he sees a really high wall. We'll get into what that looks like. And the wall all the way around has 12 gates. Now those 12 gates, there's an angel at each one of those gates. Now each one of those angels though, you guys, is standing at a gate because the, one, of the, one of the gates is named after each one of the tribes of Israel. You're gonna see Israel and you're gonna see the church tied into all of us here in a little bit here, okay? So you've got a wall, okay? So in this process of the wall, okay, you just have, this is going to be a bad illustration, but you'll get the point. You have a, a gate, you have a gate, a gate, 12, okay? And then each one of these, there's an angel hanging out. And by the way, it shouldn't be round, I know. Don't worry, I'm not doing this to scale. Okay. Really? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. I heard all the whispering. He doesn't know how to count. What's wrong with him? Okay, so you have 12 gates. Thank you, by the way. I appreciate it. So you have these 12 gates, and then there's each one of these gates is named after uh, one of the tribes of Israel. In verse 13, it says, There were three gates on the east. That's why this is a bad scale. I understand. Three gates on the north, 
Three gates on the south and three gates on the west. Now, just as a, a visual, can you go to Ezekiel 48, Kevin? Ezekiel 48, verses 30 through 35. Uh, this could be a picture of it. We don't really know 100%, but Kevin, it sure looks like it could be. Ezekiel 48, these are the exits of the city. On the north side, which measures one and a half miles, there will be three gates facing north. Now watch this. The gates of the city being named for the tribes of Israel. One, the gate of Reuben. One, the gate of Judah. And one, the gate of north. In Ezekiel 48, verse 32, on the east side, which is one and a half miles, there'll be three gates. The one gate of Joseph, the one gate of Benjamin, and the one gate of Dan. And you get the point. You're going to keep going through this. Every one of these tribes on the west side, which is one and a half miles, there'll be three gates. One, the gate of Gad, one, the gate of Asher, and one, the gate of Naphtali. Then you finally get into verse 35 on the west side. West side. Uh, Kevin, go back just for me, if you don't mind. I jumped. On the west side, which is one and a half. Yeah, I jumped back. Did I miss one? Which one did I miss? The south side on verse 33, thanks. There'll be three gates, one the gate of Simeon, one the gate of Issachar, and one the gate of Zebulun. So you have 12 tribes, one for each tribe at each gate. And there's an angel at each one of those. So the role of the Israelites, they have a prominent place. I want you to understand that. God's chosen people have a prominent place in new heaven and the new earth. Now, in verse 14, the city... Uh, wall has 12 foundations. So you have gates named after Israelites. Now you have a city wall that has 12 foundations and the 12 names of the lambs, 12 apostles were on the foundations. Rich, I remember I talked to you about this in Revelation 21 for a Revive School lesson. Oh, no. Can you talk to me a little bit about, okay, you have gates, but what's the importance of foundations here? Well, that's what everything's built on. That's, what you, that's the supporting structure. If you have a weak foundation, the supporting structure on it is it's just going to crumble. Can you go to Ephesians? Thanks, Rich. Can you go to Ephesians 2, verse 20, Kevin? Ephesians 2, verse 20, I think. But yeah, uh, just, just back up to verse 19, if you don't mind. Ephesians 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Okay, so he's setting, the, do you see this? He's setting a group together. And this, all this group, these believers that are coming together, they're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a cornerstone. So even the apostle Paul identified the foundation is truly the apostles and the prophets. So when Jesus, yes, what? When you're building a wall, when you're building a foundation, it's gotta be built on the 12 disciples. So you've got 12 gates named after the 12 tribes of Israel. Now you have 12 foundations that are now built upon, yes, his apostles. We're going to save some time, but in Luke 6, you guys want to write this down. Luke 6, 13 through 16 gives a list of all the apostles uh, that Christ would have done life with. There's one that's up for discussion. His name is Judas Iscariot. I'm pretty sure Judas is probably not on this foundation. I'm pretty sure his name is crossed off. Uh, there's an argument that maybe Paul is one of them. There's an argument that it's Messiah, Matthias. Uh, obviously, the, the new apostle. We don't know who the 12th one is. But we do know pretty clearly that this, all of these foundations, the city wall is built on these 12 disciples, which totally makes sense because they're the ones who have established the church. We are a product of their work. We are a product of everything that they have done. It says in verses 15, 16, and 17, we begin to see actual measurements here. The one who spoke with me, had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its, and its wall. The city, just for time, I'm going to keep going through here. The city is laid out in a square. So there's your big square, not a circle, okay? 
The city is laid out in a square and its length and width are the same. He measured the city with the rod at 12,000 stadia. Its length, its width, and its height are equal. So basically you have a monster square, a cube, is really what you have here. Because everything is exactly the same. 12,000 stadia could, could mean furloughs. Okay, when you take that, it could mean, yes, 1,400 miles. Okay, one way. Rich, uh, it's on here, isn't it? So Dallas to Connecticut is roughly 1,400 miles. Okay, so that, that would be the equivalent. Now, in this context, can I just say this? This little cube that we have, roughly, not that cube, that cube, roughly this cube is right around, and I, uh, uh, MacArthur came out with a statistic, 2 million square miles. The part that I'm wrestling with is the dimension size of it. <laughs> I, you guys are wrestling with it as well, and that's okay. So all we know is that you have roughly 1,400 miles one way. You take that, and it's 200, 2 million square miles, uh, big picture. And it says in verse 17, Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the human measurement. So the wall itself is actually 200 feet thick. The wall itself is 200 feet thick, which now this is where I, I'm okay with giving out dimensions, because I think he's trying to help us grasp this, because that's why he says in verse 17, according to human measurement. So like, if you're trying to figure it out, this is what it could look like according to your plans. So that's where I'm kind of like, well, it's interesting something to learn. Kevin, you got any insight to this? John may not understand the measurements he's given him. I'm, I'm with you. I just think we're trying to get a grasp here. He begins to describe it. The building material of its wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. So these walls were apparently some kind of transparency of a crystalline jasper. The city is pure gold, now like clear glass. We don't really have that today. You know that, right? I've, I've read enough on the science side. I've read enough on people of like how they could work through this. They don't have an answer. That's really what this comes down to. Kevin, there's really not a good answer. Well, it talks about all the elements being burned up. So this is something that doesn't it, exist it, in it, this heaven and this earth. And that's how you kind of have to take that direction. It's something that maybe we can't even grasp or process. We just know that it was pure gold and, uh, and it was like clear glass. Now, when you get into 19, the foundations of the city wall, okay, were adorned. Now, how many foundations do we have? The foundations were what? 12. We have 12 apostles. So you should be thinking in your mind, 12 stones. The foundations of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation, Jasper, the second, Sapphire, the third, Chalcedony, the fourth, Emerald, the fifth, Sardonyx, the sixth, Carnelian, the seventh, Chrysolite, the eighth, Beryl, the ninth, Topaz, the tenth, Chrysoprase, the eleventh, Jacinth, and the twelfth, Amethyst. So you have 12 stones, one at each place of a foundation that represents the 12 apostles. Now, some would say, and I, my mind went there right away. My mind went there right away. I wonder if this is like the breast, uh, do you remember this, Kevin? The, the ephod. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank. The ephod that the priests would wear in the Old Testament. When you do a study of a comparison of these stones with uh, the, the ephod, it's eight out of the 12 stones that we listed were found on the breastplate of the high priest. Eight out of the 12. So that means there's four that weren't. But Kevin, to go to your point again, 
We might have something brand new that we don't even have a concept of that they're trying to describe stones that we don't even know. So every foundation has a stone along with the representation of a disciple. Now watch though, as you get into verse 21, then there's the gates again. Let's go back to the Israeli tribes. The 12 gates are like 12 pearls. The 12 gates are 12 pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. And then it says the broad street of the city was pure gold. Now, I know we've heard songs, streets like gold, right? You realize that in scripture, it only says street, not streets. And it's only defining the broad street of one specific location. And it says the broad street of the city, remember, New Jerusalem that's coming down out of heaven, this broad street was made with pure gold like transparent glass. Again, Kevin, to your point, we don't, only, we don't really know what that looks like. And if you go to Revelation 22, verse 2, just to kind of back end on this, just so you can get an understanding. Revelation 22, 2, it says this. Uh, it says, down the middle of the broad street of the city. Why do we reference that? Because this language of the street, it's one street. And the one street is of gold. And it's of like a pure uh, glass look uh, and feel. So let's go back to Revelation 21. So now that we're seeing this, it says in 22 and following, I didn't see a sanctuary in it. So I'm looking at New Jerusalem. There's no temple. There's no tabernacle. There's no church building because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its sanctuary. When you keep going to verse 23, and I'm really just going to read through this, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because, of God's, because God's glory illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb. Uh, there's a comparison. I'm not going to do it because of time, but when you compare the original creation in Genesis to today, to the, the new heaven and the new earth, it's, it's an incredible fulfillment of originally what he had. You don't need the sun. You don't need the moon. Can, can you imagine that? It's just God's glory that's going to radiate. The Lamb of Christ is going to radiate so much, you won't need any other light. In fact, it says in verse 24, the nations will walk in its light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In other words, in this process, we talked about this as a team. Just, just think like this. The great multitudes in Revelation 7, do you remember this? The tribe, the tongue, the nations, they're all going to be bowing down. Just know that they're going to carry over their inheritance into the new heaven and the new earth. That's what this looks like. They're going to be coming over from here to there. So the nations are now walking into its light. And the kings of the earth, they're going to bring their glory into it. When you get into verse 25, each day its gates will never close because it will never be night there. <laughs> Why will the gates be open? Because there's no more threat anymore. The world, the flesh, and Satan. It's not an issue anymore. It says in verse 26, they'll bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and nothing profane will ever enter into it. No one who does what is vile or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. I want to close maybe a totally different way than what you would think. I want you to go to, uh, Kevin, can you go to, start with, uh, why don't you go to Isaiah 22, verse 20. And I, I want you to hang in here because I might just jump deep really fast, really quick. I know we're at the end. I know you're tired. Hang in here with me on this one because I'm actually going to attempt to summarize all of to number our days in this text right now. In Isaiah 22, verse 20, it says this, On that day I'll call for my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, 
I will clothe him with your robe and tie your sash around him. I will put your authority into his hand. He will be like a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And then in Isaiah 22, 22, it says this, I will place the key of the house of David on his shoulder. What he opens, no one can close. What he closes, no one can open. You know, at the very beginning of To Number Our Days, we talked about this little phrase called the key of David. That's why we have this little key up here. That's why we have keys throughout just our office. The key of David is, this isn't meant to be funny, it's the key to the new heaven and the new earth. Think about this language, okay? He has what's, what we would consider the authority of the government. Now, Kevin, if you would, go to Isaiah 9, verse 7. Isaiah 9, verse 7, watch this. The dominion will be vast, his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now and what? On and forever. We have to understand that this key that has been given to Jesus is the Davidic covenant fulfillment. What he promised to David in 2 Samuel 7, what he promised to David all throughout the lineage, that his kingdom is going to rule and reign forever. It's because Jesus holds the key to the city. When you think about a key, right, you think it has something to open, something to unlock. So now I want you to think, yes, this is possible because this is a prophetic fulfillment. Now, if you keep going here in the same language, okay, go to Luke 1, 32 and 33. Luke 1, 32 and 33, okay, this key that's been given to David, is now going to come through the lineage of David. It's going to be passed on to Christ. In Luke 1, 32, it says, He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Think about this. Prophetically, David was given this, right? And now the lineage is going to come through David. Now, Scripture says Jesus is that fulfillment. He's going to rule and reign of the house of Jacob forever and ever. He holds a key. Now, Kevin, now I want you to go to Revelation 3. Do you see this process? It's just building. He has a key. In Revelation 3, verse 5. In Revelation 3, it says, In the same way, the victor, do you guys remember that language that we talked about? The victor will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my man, before my father, and before his angels. So, if you know Christ, you're dressed in his clothing, right? You're dressed in his uh, attire, and now it says this, and continues on in verse 6. Anybody who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, verse 7. The Holy One, the true David, the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and closes and no one open says. We didn't even need to get into the rest. There's one person that holds the key and nothing can be opened or nothing can close unless it's through the authority of Christ. The key of David. For me to understand all of this, in order to get into the, uh, in order to understand the, the new heaven and new earth, is it all comes through Christ. So when you go back to Revelation 21, 6 and 7, the scripture just says, it, it, Kevin, at the very end, Revelation 21, not 6 and 7, the very end, if you would, 26 and 27, it just says, nothing profane will ever enter it. No one who does what is vile false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus holds the key, and that door is now, that gate is now open forever. Prophetically, it came through David. Prophetically, Jesus came here on earth. He was given the key, yes. His life became the key. And through his life, he then actually came in and then sent Satan into the lake of fire. Because of that, 
Nobody can ever shut the gates of new heaven and new earth ever again. So why is it important to understand the, the key of David? Because everything has to come through Christ. This is an ultimate fulfillment and a picture from Genesis to Revelation. And I think when you look at that, that's when you begin to understand the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And by God's grace, you and I are a part of that.